I'm Jacob Tackett. And I'm Dylan Curtis. And this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. Well, hello, hello, hello. Here we are. What up? Jacob is back I'm from back. his uh, his adventures, his summer camp adventures. Oh. Was that fun for you? No. Yeah, it was <laughs> a lot of it was uh, yeah. it was Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate Seriously. events or it Murphy's was, Law. It was such a long week. Yeah, yeah. You you were a champ and you stepped in where you weren't necessarily yeah. supposed to step in and and helped problem solve and. Helped our people have a good water yeah. day, so thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. It was funny, like the day, you know, last Thursday when we we're supposed to record the podcast, you know, I'm walk. you like step out into the hallway, and I'm walking through the hallway, and I'm like drenched in sweat, and it's like yeah. 10 a.m., and you just look at me, and you're like, like yeah, yeah, we should come up with a quick plan, because I don't think this is going to work for me today. Yeah. And, and we, so you yeah. were all, I think, blessed by lucas yeah lucas was week. lucas was fun <laughs> lucas was fun i don't know if he yeah. listens to the podcast so we'll i don't we'll see if he hears this but it was it was fun he's got yeah. some crazy stories oh doesn't he you know i challenged him a little bit i wondered how much he exaggerates and he admitted he he exaggerates a bit so yeah. but it's fun you know that's what storytellers do that's what sevens do that is what sevens do lucas is a seven if you remember shout out to the enneagram episode we did which yeah. was feels like forever ago eons but yeah, yeah, Lucas was fun. Glad we could have him on, and we made it yeah. happen, and you made it happen. And yeah, I'm yeah. glad to be back. Um, Welcome I, to ministry. It's definitely always, this is a highlight of the week, so. That is really funny. We should have brought up, because the whole idea of last episode was ministry is messy, and we I didn't even bring up that, like, uh. you were dealing with all these messes to make the water day happen. Yeah. So, good example there. Boom, that'll yeah. preach. Things do not always go as planned. No, I, it's don't. like uh, it's like weddings, what I always say to people. Like, it's um, it will be nothing like you planned, but better than you expected. Yeah. And I think ministry has the potential to kind of always be like that. Of like, well, we had plans. Right. It didn't work out, but things were still great. But look at us now. Yeah. So, anyways, we are back. We're not talking about uh, messy ministry for a second week. No. We are actually going to be talking about... The goodness of humans? Mm. Question mark. Question. Basically, are humans inherently good? Yeah. Uh, This is a contentious, contentious topic for some people. Uh, There are some very, very different opinions on this, uh, and we're going to break that down and have a discussion of why it matters to decide if humans are inherently good or not. I'm excited about this one. This is a good one. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging episode, and yeah. some of you, you probably already have an answer in your head as soon as I said that question. Right. So we'll see if uh, if you agree with us, because Jacob and I agree on this one. Uh, shout out to Michael Curtis, who has a good episode suggestion yeah. where we, uh, we debate with one another on something we don't agree with each other on, but we haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, we... Thought we had a couple of things, and then we yeah. talked through it and realized, no, yeah, we agree on that, too. Well, the good thing is, you want to be on the core issues. You want to be of one mind right. and spirit with those you do ministry with, so that's a positive. But we'll we'll dig and find something to debate. I mean, there is one thing we disagree on. Sure, yeah. But we're not going to talk about it, because we yeah. have talked about it to ad nauseum. We have, so we won't go there. Anyways, but today, we're going to have fun with our humans inherently good yeah so uh let's do it 
Are humans inherently good? No. No. But we'll talk about that. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> That's the episode. Uh, no. So when we ask this question, are humans inherently good? Um, really, it's tied to so much more and this theological doctrine, this theological idea of original sin. Yes. And so when we talk, ask the question, are humans inherently good? We're really asking the question, what is original sin? And is original sin true in our life? Is What's the implications of that? And so the term original sin refers to Adam's sin of... You know what? I don't like how that's written. Adam and Eve's... Sure. Yes, they both said. Uh, ...sin of disobedience and eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and its effects upon the rest of human race. So really, original sin can be defined as the moral corruption we possess as the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, resulting in a sinful disposition manifesting itself in habitually sinful behavior. So really, original sin is because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve's original sin, the rest of humanity has a sinful nature, has a sinful behavior from birth. Some could even say from conception, but we're not going to get into that conversation. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a... Uh, so the doctrine of original sin focuses particularly on its effects on our internal nature and our standing before God. Boom. Original that's, sin. Yeah, good, good definition. I just gave you a whole seminary class for free. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, that's what that was. Yeah. yeah. Was it from the <laughs> seminary of Google? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it has to be said, too, because people will get into... We could get into, like, relativity really quick when it comes to morals. And so it must be said that the standard of goodness is God. So that is the that is the the metric that we would put all things against is God, who is perfectly good. So this isn't like, a, well, I think that's good, and that's bad, and yeah. they do that, so they're good. No. This is not the metric by which we're putting things against God himself, who is pure goodness. It is in relation to God that we determine what is good and what is sinful. God's morality supersedes your cultural paradigm. Absolutely. So I feel like that had to be said, just so we don't slip too far into um, like subjective morality. Absolutely. Which is a favorite of yours. It is. It is a favorite of mine. Moral. The moral argument is one of my favorites. Yeah. I'll be actually teaching it at a apologetics class here at the church in September. Bruce's class. Yeah. It should be fun. Jacob's going to help with that class too. Shout out pastor Bruce. Your your original gangster. Oh, gee. Yep. So, yeah, uh, that was a good definition. So where does some of this come from? Where does this idea come from? (laughs) We'll start with Scripture. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, before we get into, like, you know, church theologians and history, because it was developed a lot more in that, but it is biblical uh, before anyone tries to to roast us and say it isn't. So, of course, we have Genesis one thirty one. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So the original condition of us was good. Very good. Creation, everything was perfectly good. Uh, and it's funny, we were talking about this, I think, yesterday. Like, we, didn't, we wouldn't have even known that everything was perfectly good, right? Because they didn't know the knowledge of good and evil yet because they hadn't eaten of the tree. Yeah. So it just was the way it was. It's pretty mind-shattering when you think yeah, about that. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, nope, they wouldn't have even realized it, that it what was good perfect. or bad was. They just would have Ugh. known what's. they were in a state. Anyways, we'll, we won't get too philosophical. Uh. I want to, but... <laughs> 
Uh, and then, of course, things go sideways in Genesis 3, and we have the fall and the doubting of God and the fruit, blah, 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 blah. And then let's just skip ahead. We could go through all of the Old Testament and talk about how sinfulness manifests itself. Right. But we'll just skip to Paul because that's where most of the, the original sin, the doctrine of original sin kind of comes from. So we have Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, uh, and we could add woman uh, if you want to, egalitarianism. We need that gender-inclusive yeah, language. they both sinned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and women. Sorry, women. We You're, you're probably better than us for the most part, yeah. but you're not perfect, and you're not sinless. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then last, of course, which this is a common, uh, common confession that a lot of churches, we use this confession every week, and a lot of other mainline churches probably do, and their absolution, the forgiveness, the announcement of sins being forgiven, after you confess, of course. Right. Yeah. So we could get we could argue about that. Remember, First John one eight through ten. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins, forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. Woo. So nobody can claim they don't yeah. have sin or they've never sinned. If you do, you're sinning. And you're saying God's a liar. Yeah. So that would uh, I I would caution you not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not a mountain you want to die on. <laughs> yeah. My pastoral suggestion is to maybe not do that. <laughs> All right. So we will get into the first chunk of uh, where original sin, this doctrine, really started to be developed, and that is with Augustine and the Donatists. I still think it makes me think of the Ninja Turtles every time I hear Donatello. Donatello every time. But anyways, this was back uh, during the fourth century, I believe. Augustine, who is a uh, well-respected and well-loved theologian, both in the Catholic and Protestant traditions, absolute pillar, was in a fight with these Donatists. Uh, So Augustine um, was really the first theologian to describe the issue of original sin. he was dealing with those Donatists, and they were a group that essentially, the short of it is, they thought they could work their way to heaven. They could make themselves acceptable before God without really Jesus or the Holy Spirit, things Sounds like that. Sounds exhausting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that actually carried through a lot of Catholic tradition, um, which we'll see with the Pelagians. Um, but yeah, so that was where they were coming from. So in order to defend against that interpretation, um, Augustine developed this doctrine of original sin, um, and he specifically used Romans 5, 7, and 9. Uh, we already read one verse from Romans 5, so if you're curious, just read through chapters 5, 7, and 9, and you'll get a pretty clear idea yeah. of how, uh, how we're <laughs> how all sinful. awful we are. <laughs> Uh, and clearly, Augustine was um, very effective in this argument because it was the commonly held view in the Western Church, uh, even with some of these other groups in the Catholic Church who tried to come up with other ideas. Uh, but it was the very much the commonly held view up until, I would say, about the liberal Protestant movement in the 19th century um, with people like Friedrich Schleiermacher, and we could get really into that. But essentially, that was the commonly held belief was that we were all... The original sin meant we were all sinful, we were all bent in on ourselves, as Luther actually would say, um, and thus prone to sin, and we all will sin at some point. Yeah. Um, so somebody, some people like the Donatists, and, and when we talk about the Pelagians, thought essentially that God had given us all that we needed 
uh, inherently to overcome said sin. Um, and those on the original sin side, ourselves included, I would say that, no, you actually need the act of Christ on the cross, dying, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit in order to um, be released from sin, um, from at least the slavery of sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin, but... Um, so that was sort of the dividing line that we'll see as we keep going through some of this. That was that was the dividing line of if you believed in original sin or not. Yeah. Um, so that is the beginnings of original sin <laughs> as an official doctrine. Let me put it that way. Sure. Because again, yeah. it's biblical. We covered. I mean, you could literally Google original sin verses, and you'll probably pull up at least a hundred Bible verses that kind of explain how we have been all been sinful since Adam and Eve. Yeah. And for the most part, there's a lot of Christian belief systems that hold true uh, to original sin. Just the development of grace within that original sin is where kind of um, denominations and doctrines kind of split. And so we're going to talk about that just a little bit. So some... Real quick. Sorry. I, I just thought about this too. Like, just just because there's original sin does not mean that there isn't still a capacity to do good, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's where we don't want to get this mixed up because my mom had a bad experience where essentially original sin made her feel like she couldn't do anything good, period. And that's not what original sin is saying. But original sin is saying that there's no amount of good we could do in order to receive salvation. Yeah, that's a great point. We still have a capacity for it. We still see plenty of people who do good things, even godly things. I mean, Romans 1 talks about the Gentiles who didn't have the law, but by nature did the things of the law. They did the good things. Mm-hmm. So that capacity's there. Original sin is more about, I, I would say, salvation, justification. We can't work our way into being in, on good on God's good side, if you will. Yeah. No, that's so, a great point. Thank you. Clarification. Yeah. That clarification. So we'll have a few more um, views of original sin. Um, And so there's kind of three main views that deal with this um, idea of original sin um, that a lot, one of them most people probably don't fall under, but then others do. Um, So Pelagianism, 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 Pelagianism. At least that's how my professor said it. Yeah. Sure. We're going to go with that. So I That's used to call it Pelagianism, which Pelagianism. is not accurate, I think. <laughs> Pelagianism. Pelagianism. All right, so, yeah, we're just going to move on um, without using that word anymore. <laughs> no, I'll say it some more. Pelagianism. Uh, so that this view says that Adam's sin had no effect upon the souls of his descendants other than that he provided a sinful example, and that is heresy. That is not true, nope. um, as we've just talked about. Um and so in this view, Adam's example has influenced those who followed him to also sin. Again, heresy <laughs> and just crazy. <laughs> That's a, yeah. But according to this view, uh, man has the ability to stop sinning if he simply chooses to. Yeah, all you got to do is choose. You just got to choose. That's all you got to do. Um, Pelagianism runs contrary to a number of passages, some that we just read, that indicate man is hopelessly enslaved by his sins apart from God's intervention, and that his good works are dead or worthless and meriting God's favor. Mm. Work your way. Work your way out. And so, complete heresy. Um, Not true. If we could choose to stop sinning, like... I'm pretty sure I would have chosen to stop sinning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, well, and I would ask this question, okay? 
is sin simply the product of our choice to do something counter to God's will or what he would want? Or is sin a larger force in some way? Like, is there some, uh, in some sense, sin itself is kind of an entity, if you will. Sure. And so, like, if you if you don't believe that it is an entity in some form, then sure, like, sin is just only results if we act a certain way. But I would then say to somebody, like, then explain the decay of creation. Because that makes no sense to me. If sin is simply just the consequences of our actions, then why is all of creation suffering negative side effects? Yeah. Like, no, sin is an entity of some sort that has influence over the whole world. So it's not just something you can choose to do or not do. It exists beyond just individual choices, individual acts. Um, So that's where I would say that's a weird view to me to just kind of limit it to this idea of what we do. Um, Because I do think it's a bigger force or entity. So yeah, that's what I would say, you Pelagians. Right. And then it would also, in my opinion, if you hold to that, that sin is just something that we do, then it there's so many kind of harsh implications of like, yeah. oh, well, I, I did this, so yeah. now I have cancer. Yeah. Or my grandfather did this, and that's why I'm living on the streets. Yeah. Yeah, or even the opposite and how dangerous that becomes of, am I doing enough? Yeah. Because I know people who are tortured by that. Yep. Of like, am I doing enough to guarantee, you know, that I basically have salvation? And it's like, uh, you are, don't buy into that. That's wrong. Like, Christ did enough. Yeah, and it talks, like, First John, chapter 3, somewhere in there, it's talking, it, John is using this language of, like, people born of God aren't sinners, but people born of Satan are continuous sinners. Mm. Um, and these Gentile Christians are struggling with this idea that they think that John is telling them that they have to be perfect, yeah, perfectly sinless. Right. Um, and in my mind, like, that's what happens when you hold this view that if you... I just... Yep. That you can become sinless? That you can at some point become sinless because of your salvation. I, I don't know sure, where I was going to sure, take that, sure. actually. It's okay. I just went it's blank. Okay. Cut that. Not yeah, really. Yeah, no, no, it's staying. It's staying. Yeah. Yep, I just should have. Here we go. <laughs> well, and even like going further in, and we haven't written most of what we just said the last three minutes was not written down, yeah. but um, there was a stream of thought later on in the medieval period too where essentially it wasn't that you could work your way into God's good graces, but you had to do a certain amount in order to receive uh, what Christ did essentially. So even then it's like a half... It was, yeah. uh, it was basically like half Pelagianism, where it's like, well, you don't do it all yourself. Like, you can't completely stop sinning, but you can do enough that you will eventually receive Christ, and then you'll be good. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. I think y- we all probably can sense the inherent danger of uh, Pelagianism. Yeah, <laughs> I would think. And would where it so. leads us on either side of that. Um, all right. How about Calvin? My, my man, Calvin. Mm. Um, hey, don't be so mean to Calvin. I'm just kidding. He got some things wrong, for sure. But he got a lot wrong, um, too. But he also has some really great thoughts. Uh, so the Calvinist doctrine of original sin states that Adam's sin has resulted not only in our having a sin nature uh, that is being um, uh, oriented towards sinning, but also in our incurring guilt before God for which we deserve punishment. Yes, we do. Yep. 
being conceived with original sin upon us results in our inheriting a sin nature so wicked that describes the human heart. He describes the human heart as deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Oof. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, And not only was Adam found guilty because he sinned and Eve, uh, but his sin was imputed. That is like, we are all subject to it essentially. Uh, which makes us guilty and deserving of our own punishment. Um, and, of course, the ultimate punishment of sin is death, uh, and death in the sense that you're forever cut off from God. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, we all die. Right. <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> uh, I will live forever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Peter Pan. A B- bunch of 20-year-olds doing theology. Um, there are two views as to why Adam's sin should be uh, imputed to us or put upon us. The first view states that the human race was within Adam in uh, like a, a genealogical sense. So like it's passed down just by the fact of being human. Right. Um, so in, in seed form is the fancy Calvinist way to put that or theologian way to put that. Um, thus, Adam sinned, we sinned in him. Uh, we inherited that bad biological trait, if you will. Um, this is similar to the biblical teaching, of course, uh, that Levi, descended of Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek, I love that name, uh, in Abraham, even though Levi was not born until hundreds of years later. So he carried the, the debt, yeah. if you will, of Abraham that he needed to square. Um, and the other main view, of course, is that Adam served as our representative. Um, and so when he sinned, we were found guilty as well. Yeah. So it's funny to me because people push back, especially in our culture, people really push back on generational sin. It's like, well, that's not my fault. Right. Like, why should I have to pay for that? And the Bible very much does not shy away from generational no, it sin. Does not. <laughs> the whole story of Jesus is built on generational <laughs> yeah. sin from Adam up until Jesus did what he did. Yep. So sorry, everybody, but generational sin is very biblical. Jesus had to die yep. because of Adam. Yep. You jerk. You jerk Adam <laughs> and Eve. Oh, yeah, and yeah, Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so this this other view, Arminianism. Your favorite. My favorite. It's uh, the Baptist in you. Yeah, there we go. So Arminians believe Adam's original sin has resulted in the rest of mankind inheriting a corrupt, sinful nature which causes us to sin in the same way that a cat's nature causes it to meow. Oh. It just comes naturally. I love that we used a cat in sin in the same <laughs> sense. Yeah, because cats are oh, sinful. Cats aren't great. I'm I, not a thing, big I, fan. Here's the thing. Like, I, at the end of the day, I'm going to choose a dog over a cat, 10 out yes. of 10. But like, I don't mind cats. Like, If my wife mm-hmm. is like, hey, let's go get a cat, I'd be like, okay, fine. Yeah. Like, I'm not like yeah. anti-cat. I'm not going to. Yeah, but here's the thing. Dogs, I think, represent a repentant creature because when they do something bad, they realize <laughs> they it. They do. And you can tell they feel bad. Cats, they have no feelings. They'll knock stuff off shelves. They don't care. They They'll look you stone care. cold in the eyes and push it off the it's ledge. So true. And there's that, I've, you've probably seen that one video of that cat, and it's like pushing. Oh, the yeah, like, no, 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 no. And it looks at her. And just whoop, knocks it off yeah. the, the edge. So cats, cats are, are the savage, unrepentant creature. They naturally that feels no guilt. Yeah, uh, I love <laughs> it. Sorry for you cat lovers out yeah. there. Yeah, not sorry though. <laughs> um, but according to this view, uh, man cannot stop sinning on his own. 
um, and God's supernatural enabling grace called prevenient grace, which is grace given by God that precedes the act of the sinner, exercising saving faith in Jesus, um, in conjunction with the gospel, allows that person to choose to exercise faith in Christ. This The teaching of prevenient grace um, is not explicitly found in Scripture. Right. It's more of a theological concept than it is yeah. biblical. Hence why you are many and they're sinners. Mm. I'm kidding. Mm. But this begs a question. Mm. Reading this begs a question, which is another episode that I shouldn't even open this can. But it's can it. So like if if the sin if if sin is so pervasive that what they call the noetic effect of sin, that it essentially blinds us, then how is it not Firstly, the act of God to open the sinner's eyes to accept in faith Jesus Christ. So that's the beef people maybe have with Arminianism. And I, I'm not saying that's a fair sure. portrait of Arminianism. I think it's it's a little more nuanced than that. And and I know plenty of Arminians who would say, yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, God has to act first and does help us see that. Um, but there's a choice within that is where the Arminians, I think, come up. Yeah. Um, but the argument would be that, because it says in here, exercising saving faith in Jesus, so the idea that you as a person are the one exercising faith. Someone would say, well, sin makes that impossible. So it's God showing grace, opening the eyes, in which then you can respond. So that would be the beef with yeah. sin, original sin, Arminianism. But we'll, we can argue that some other time. We will, maybe. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. I like, I like Arminians, though. Yeah, I think there's a good balance between the problem with Calvinism. So to to be fair here, um, is that Calvinism can be kind of deterministic. So like, you don't really have a choice. Like things have already been determined. Yeah. And let me not. I'm not gonna even get into the implications of God's character if you take that position. But it's fun. Yeah. There's. Yeah. It's there's a lot. There's a lot. There's no, a lot. No view is perfect. No. And yeah. I also don't think and someone would argue this with me. I'm sure Mr. John Calvin himself would argue. Yes, he would. Um, it's like I don't think personally anyone falls into one camp fully. No. Like, no. The the five point Calvinists, the tulips out there would yeah, fight me on this, but Yeah. Yeah, they would. They would. And I'm sure if I actually had a conversation with them, I could I could get them. I yeah, can, I can make them realize so? they're not five so? points. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not, though. Well, and you could even get into, and, and I'll stop here because <laughs> we're getting into some of this. Like, you could argue that that Luke's idea of how someone comes to faith versus Paul's are kind of different. Yeah. Luke is kind of Arminian, that there is a choice within the person to choose Christ and follow Christ. And then Paul's is very much election. It is very much God determined that Paul was going to be called and elected to do what he did. So Paul in Romans talks a lot about call and election. Yeah. But Luke kind of gives a different picture. So is it one or the other, or can it be both and? <gasps> is God big enough to use both? Yeah, I think so. So anyways, that's my that's my thread down the middle. Oof. Um, You're so ecumenical. So ecumenical, like to my detriment maybe. So anyways, yeah, both these Arminian and Calvinist views um, teach original sin and see individuals as unable to overcome sin apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, most um, Calvinists uh, teach imputed sin, that is sin passed down from Adam, that we don't have a choice in. It's just given to us. And some Arminians actually deny the imputation of sin, and others believe that Christ's death has negated the effects of imputation. So essentially, Christ, just by the fact that he died, 
actually broke that generational imputation where sin keeps passing down generation after generation. Some Arminians would argue that. Um, and the fact of original sin means that we cannot please God on our own, uh, no matter how many good deeds we do, we still commit sin, uh, and we still have the problem of a corrupt nature within. Uh, we must have Christ. We must be born again. Uh, hashtag John 3, <laughs> right? Where yeah. he talks with Nicodemus, who's like, what do you mean born again? I would love to be in the room with Nicodemus and Jesus. Mm. I feel like that relationship had to be really interesting. Um, but Nicodemus came around, right? He did. He helped bury Jesus. Um, God deals with the effects of original sin in our hearts through the process um, through the process of. What did you mean by that? I don't know where it went. Whoops, it's okay. I Maybe that was my fault. Anyways, uh, and John Piper. That's funny. Our our good friend John Piper, who is somewhat controversial sometimes. And I like John. I feel like a reincarnation of John Calvin. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. Piper's very reformed. Um, this is what John Piper oh, says. Oh, I know what I'm. What was it? There we here we go. God deals with the effects of original sin in our our hearts through the process of sanctification. Oh, hey, there. kind of just <laughs> all right for God's sanctification. How did I not put sanctification uh, in there? I was like, what did I? What was this supposed to be? I doing? almost inserted regeneration just you know, by nature. Pretty but close. Yeah, yeah. Similar. I mean, regeneration and sanctification are hand in hand, right? Yeah. Anyways, we won't dive into. We're getting oh. really like seminary in today. Oh, wow. So sanctification apologize. being more holy, more like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah being more more uh, formed in the image of the Son, if you will, is one way it's put in Scripture. So, as John Piper puts it, the problem of our moral defilement and habitual sinning is solved by His purifying us by the work of the Spirit, which is regeneration. Amen. Yeah. So there you go. Those are those are all your big seminary terms. We did give you maybe a bit of an education today, maybe not. Maybe some of you are like, ugh. Or maybe some of you checked out when I checked out on my brain about 10 minutes ago. So Yeah, your brain left and it didn't it, say bye. It said, see ya. <laughs> Peace. So Dylan, what do you think? Where, where do you fall on this? Oh, yeah. Where are you? You know, for a long time, I did not buy into original sin. Um, I did think that we had more capacity within us to not save ourselves, but to make ourselves better prior to any sort of conversion. But I did always believe that sin had to be forgiven by Christ. Yeah. Um, my problem with the original sin conversation for a long time, um, was, uh, there's such a hammer on depravity that it made people like my mom, like I mentioned, feel worthless feel incapable, feel as if there's nothing good, period. And again, I do think there is a capacity for good within all of us, even despite sin. Um, there's still people who do plenty of good, God-honoring things without realizing yeah. that they're God-honoring because they don't know God. Um, but at the same time, if we focus too heavily on that capacity to do good, I think we miss um, a really important aspect of our nature, which is to be sinful, to be mm -hmm. selfish, to be bent in on ourselves, all of those things. And if we ignore that, um, I think it's actually, I think undermines the good that we do. Yeah. Because um, the best thing any of us can do, quote unquote, in my opinion, or come to the realization of, is understanding fully our true nature. And I think that is the best possible 
good that God then uses uh, in our humility to bring about even better good. Um, so I think to ignore sin, uh, I should say I believe to ignore sin is a very dangerous thing. Yep. And um, within the church, I've seen this a lot because there was kind of this, the liberal Protestant sect shifted to this idea of optimism in the sense that like we are inherently good. Um, so what happens when someone holds that view and I've seen this a lot and I've had friends dealing with this, like what happens when there's kind of a baseline of good essentially at that point, like there's, we are neither fully corrupt nor fully good, but like there's a standard of goodness that we're all supposed to somehow be at. So if that's the case, what then happens when someone becomes a Christian yet they sin or do something that even is below that standard you then ask as i've experienced with people you then ask well is god transforming at all because even when they weren't a christian they were at the standard goodness and then as a christian they did something that was even lower than the standard i think they should be at and then you go well then god doesn't have transforming power god clearly isn't effective and that's the danger of a non-original sin view in my opinion is you essentially set up people to fail because their true nature will be revealed at some point. And then you start going after God because somehow God's not powerful enough because they should have been good at some standard already. And they're even lower because they're Christians. How, how's that possible? Yeah. It's just dangerous. And I will read this one quote and then pass quote it em. off to you. But quote this em. is a great quote that I think demonstrates the danger of what has happened in undermining original sin. Um, And this is from Richard uh, Niebuhr, who was a very famous theologian, American theologian. Uh, It's from the kingdom of God in America. Hmm. Um, And this is what he had to say, uh, basically against those who were skirting original sin and like embracing this optimistic view. He said, uh, it essentially sets people up to think this, uh, there is a God without wrath brought, um, oh, sorry, just, that was a bad intro. A God with out wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. So essentially you have, by ignoring original sin, you neuter the gospel. Yep. And as Paul said, you make God a liar. Uh, well, I guess as first John said, but I'm sure Paul probably said something similar at some point, you know, and that's that, I don't know, that cuts out the power of the gospel to mm-hmm. me. Um, and really puts all of us at tension with how we understand other humans, how we understand God. Um, so it's important that we realize original sin and the impact it's had on us, and we confess our sins. Yeah. And thankfully, thankfully, God is <laughs> faithful and just to forgive. Yeah. So something we didn't deserve, something we couldn't earn, Pelagians, Donatus, um, but God, by his mercy, gave it to us. So th- that's why I believe in original sin. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so I will say, um, I've, I also believe in original sin, um, and Niebuhr put it much more eloquently and much more academic-wise than yeah. I ever could. Um, yeah, my <laughs> belief is like, the reason I believe in original sin is because if we don't have, if we're not born sinners, then we don't need Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah. we don't need him. Yeah, we could do it without him. We can do it without him. And so, yeah, um... I don't know how far I would go on, like, the imputation of sin um, and whether or not, you know, Christ's death broke that generational sin and that people born after Christ 
don't have generational sin or yeah. whatnot. I don't think I would go that far. Yeah, um, I just from observation, I can't. Yeah, but at my own life, I couldn't yeah. stand in front of a crowd and and yeah, say that imputation of sin is no longer around because that would suggest that someone could live a sinless life, right? And that's not possible. Impossible. Impossible. Again, it would be a slap in the face to the life, death, and resurrection yeah. and ascension of Jesus. Absolutely. So, yeah, I am a original sinner. <laughs> You're an OG sinner. Yeah, I was going to go on my uh, email byline. Yeah, yeah, you could put my that. My name, yeah. my church, my phone number, yeah. my email address, yeah. and then original sinner. Yeah, create a profile. Yeah. Original sinner. Well, good. That's a lot. I know there's there's some probably some heavy words in there, some heavy ideas, but it's important. It's an important. Uh, it's very important to ask yeah. actually, because I think it informs so much of how we see others, how we treat others, how we see ourselves. Um, you know, there's. I've been on this kick lately, and and I think it's important. Is like for most of church history, we like philosophy, the study of humans, and theology, the study of God where theology always informed our philosophy, how we saw ourselves, how we saw others. But then during the Enlightenment, that flipped. So now how we see ourselves and how we see others, our philosophy is informing our theology way too much. Mm, Um, That is a slippery slope. That is a slippery slope. And I think some of what we've seen where people assume people are inherently good um, is a good example of how philosophy is dictating theology. Um, and, And that's not good. So... Anyways, that's just my last parting jab. Yeah, that's at great. The optimism of inherent goodness that I don't think exists in humans, mm. even though there's a capacity. Even though there's a capacity. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, always the caveat. <laughs> so, the caveat. as we end here today, I'm wondering. What are you wondering, Dylan? This is a fun conversation my wife and I had last night. Uh, is Texas part of the South or the West? <laughs> 600 years ago wild west sure six yeah 600 years ago it was mexico <laughs> wild west now come on this is texas yeah. is the yeah. south yeah yeah it is, i mean sure it could be argued it's the north sure relatively on, well, yeah, depending, depending where you are within the united In states the united we've states, drawn the boundaries <laughs> the boundaries of the united contiguous united states mm-hmm Texas is in the South. Yeah. So here's here's my issue. It depends on how you define South and West. My wife, who is just lovely, and she's my favorite, she defined it as Southwest and took the what I would call the pastor out, which is split the middle. But she based it off of the like topography and climate of Texas. Uh, I will not be defining that, that that way. I love you, honey, but I'm not defining it that way. The problem for me is ge- geographically, I can see a strong argument for the West. Because we looked this up. Like El Paso is west of Denver, yeah. right? And we consider Colorado part of the West. But since Texas spreads the way that it does, right. it's hard to argue that it's all West. You'd almost have to like split Texas. Culturally, it is the South. One thousand percent, it is the South, except for Austin, which I think is much more in line with West. Sure, and like California culture, Colorado Keep culture. Keep Austin yeah. weird. Yeah, it's very much a, a West sort of city. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to say one or the other, but I will go with the cultural answer and say it is the South. It is the South. 
Yes. Um, yeah, but it, you could argue the West. I, yeah, sure. What was the weird one you were telling me before we came on too? Oh, Reno. Oh, yeah, how yeah. Reno, Nevada is farther west than Los Angeles, California. Yeah, my mind was blown. Yeah, it's crazy to think of that. I'm also not great at geography, to yeah. be fair. So, but yeah, if you have uh, other opinions on if let us know Texas is south or west, or if you're like my w- wife and want to say southwest, um, let us know at the I'm Wondering Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, of course, we're on Facebook. Like, share, subscribe. We're on Instagram too, BTW. That's about it. Um, but you know what? Sharing would be a huge, huge, huge help to us. Um, and I know some of you are really regular listeners. So, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you do Jacob a favor? Can you just share one of the episodes? Please. Pick your favorite one. Yeah. You don't even have to share this one. No. Just pick your favorite one, share it, send it by message if you don't want to share it on your Facebook. Because yeah. here's the thing like, we've paid for promotion. Yeah. You're free? Yeah. It would help us a lot more if you promoted. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. I mean, we've already had a great amount of plays. Yeah. But you know what? There's always room for growth. There's more. And we would love more people to hear this. And if you would like more people to hear this, hear the, and just uh, I'm, get share your pastoral it, heart. Share it if you feel like you want to share it. If you just like it and you feel like none of your friends would like us, then fine. Don't share it. Yeah. But if you feel like some people would benefit, Pass it on. Give it a give it a share. Give it a share. Give it a share. Comment. Sharing is caring. Like it. You know, do the things, man. <laughs> do them. All right, guys. We appreciate you. <laughs> uh, we couldn't do this without you. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us and being our friends. <laughs> uh, we love you. And uh, until next week, I'm Jacob. And I'm Dylan. And this is the I'm Wondering Podcast.